Hey, Lisa. I haven't seen you in forever. I know. I miss you. And we've missed you too, Edheads. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Lisa Jones-Moore and Dr. Victoria Gillis. 60 years of experience in education, research, hundreds if not thousands of publications between them, books upon books. We got Victoria Gillis's most recent book, Content Area Reading and Literacy, and we have Lisa Jones-Moore's book, Perception of Teaching Literacy in Elementary Content Areas, and just overall a dearth of educational knowledge and expertise, and honestly, delightful human being. Let's just jump right in. In too many classrooms, the teachers are doing the lion's share of the thinking because they want so desperately for their students to learn. I mean, they really do. But if they're doing all of that prep work, they actually have to look at that as stealing from their kids the opportunity to struggle a little bit in order to learn the material. So it's a teacher's job really to provide those supports for students. I, I think your project began with an article, ad, Adapt, Not Adopt. Mm -hmm. And in that article is a really good example of providing support without doing the work. I think one of the best ways, and Lisa can um, jump in too, I think one of the best ways to help shift that job of learning to students is to use writing to learn and to understand that you do not have to grade every single scrap of paper that a student writes on. And also, you don't want your students dependent on you as a teacher for all their knowledge. You know, as teachers, we want to create independent learners, independent thinkers, and if you were doing all the grading of the papers, like say in English, and you're doing all the grading and editing, how are students ever going to figure out where they're going wrong and how to figure it out themselves if they don't grade other people's papers? And so I think I have a friend that does that all the time. She grades every single paper they write. And she's so proud of the fact that when students go to college, they're constantly calling her for help with their English papers because she hasn't taught them anything more than to be dependent upon her knowledge and mm -hmm. how to figure out things for themselves. And I think that's really a, a challenge that all of us face is because like you said, we want our students to do so good. We want them to be so successful mm -hmm. that you know we're doing everything we can to carry the load and not sharing it the way we should be. I think that's a really good point. Dr. Jones-Moore, one of the things that you just mentioned and, and really speaks to me as a former English teacher, I was in the English classroom last year, and for the last 21 years, over the course of that time, I had started using, and I stole this from another English teacher, and we stole it from another English teacher, so I don't know where it originated. I think it was back to a class I'd taken at Augsburg, but with a rotating deadline so that you never got that monstrosity of... 160 essays on your desk at once. You got a fifth of your classes stuff in on Monday and a fifth on Tuesday and a fifth on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Through that rotation, you could sometimes give uh, feedback to the kid directly, or they could be rotating through a peer editor, or they could be rotating through a self-reflection. So there's a rotation of that. And then also that's a constant revision process. You might give them just a smidge of feedback 
And then they workshop it in class or they workshop it with a peer or whatever. And then you give them a smidgen of more feedback. And then like maybe the end of the quarter, you give them a final grade on that rotating essay. It's kind of a, a pain to organize, but those kids learn to go out into the real world and write and revise and to seek out other people for help, not necessarily that English teacher from their past. So you're speaking to my heart when you're talking about shifting that learning onto the kids. For our listeners who are thinking, oh, this is just for English teachers, uh, your famously science teaching background, can you help us to make sure that people aren't thinking in silos? In terms of using writing, one of the neatest things I ever saw, and this you can do in science, you can do it in math, you can do it in social studies, is a teacher who graded the first page of an essay. Believe it or not, there is a standard in mathematics about communicating mathematics. And there's also a standard in science about communicating. So students who are writing in the role of a mathematician or a scientist and doing an essay, you give feedback and you target X number of items that you're going to comment on. And you do a really thorough explanation of those items. And then you put an R at the top of the page. And the kid's job is then to look at those items and go back and find the rest of those kinds of errors in the paper. And they get a grade for having found those errors. And then they get another assessment for having revised. Writing is a tool that is good in any class, in every class. And as I said, you don't have to grade it all. That was a way for me to very quickly grade, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, a think right that I did at the first of the class or in the middle of class or at the end of class or at the beginning of class. And then you hold on to it at the end of class. You've also got time to respond. And I used those think rights, what I used to call admit slips from my worst classes, because it gave me just a little bit of time to say a quiet prayer. (laughs) You know, please, Lord, let this class go well. And, And that, you know, while I'm praying, they are writing. And then that gives us a way to start class. Turn to a neighbor. What did you write? Compare what you did. And then we're off to the races. But we can't forget to include writing in our career and technical classes either. See, that, that's my background. My background is marketing and business. Yes. Taught forever in high school. And, you know, we need to remember that all the things that we're talking about is also applicable in those classes. Because when you think about marketing, I was a big DECA person. We did all of the research projects and that was a 20 page research paper. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we worked, with the English teachers and went uh, across content areas for their English teachers to provide editing. And they could even use that project as one of their writing samples for their class. So they weren't working harder, they were working smarter. So uh, we can't forget that everything we're talking about can apply to marketing ed, to technology. Home economics. Yeah, health and human sciences, mm-hmm. agriculture, you know, there's a lot of things in agriculture 
that we could talk about writing as well. So, you know, let's not forget those uh, subjects as well. Lisa, that's a really good point because we did an article Mm -hmm. on let's not forget career, right? Career and technical training. And I think that's really important. Yeah, because every one of those classes, courses support academics. You know, when, when we taught, we had competencies that we had to show that supported English, which was the writing portion. You know, mm-hmm. Taking a, a charter graph, maybe supplied demand curves and writing what was happening in that graph and what would happen if you moved it. And you had to write a synopsis of it. And that's pure literacy right there is being able to interpret that charter graph and put it into words. So that's another writing activity that we did a lot. And in marketing, we're interpreting charts and graphs and looking at tables and interpreting what was happening there. There's all kinds of ways that you can incorporate it. And I think in career and vocational classes, that's where you have the best example of application of what you're learning over there in math and English and science and social studies. And we cannot forget those because I just paid a fortune to a couple of electricians who came over here to help me in this new house. And I can tell you, we need more electricians because they need more competition. Dr. Gillis, one thing that Mike Carroll and I have talked about before is both of us have a background in selling shoes. Oh. Both of us made a, a good chunk of change selling shoes. And, and I, I know for a fact, my first few years in education, I made way less than I did selling shoes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when it, the thing that really is Lisa and I were writing that article on don't forget the career and technical side of things. When I was doing research to write that article, I came across an article that was about a research piece that people had done that looked at, examined how much literacy was involved in, I think they looked at welders, they looked at construction. It was unbelievable. They had all these forms and all these reports to fill out. And I think Kids keep asking, when are we ever going to use this? Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to use this every single day of the rest of your life. Mm. Well, I think the first thing that has to happen is we've got to get out of that mindset of reading is a class. Yes. What I see, especially, you know, when I did my dissertation, yeah, I did my research in third, fourth, and fifth grade classes. And when you go in there and you ask them, what are you reading in your content areas? They would say, well, we pick a book that goes along with the theme that we have for the, the moment. And we look at a book and reading and that's where they get their literacy practice. And I'm like, well, that's defeating the whole purpose because you've got to teach the students how to read science <laughs> scientifically and teach them how to think like a scientist. Mm-hmm. In history, you know, you need to teach them how to think like a historian instead of reading a, yeah. a, a narrative in a reading class. And they all associated literacy with a reading class and not mm-hmm. as an integration. And that's a huge problem that we all face. And, and even in high schools, it's still the thought process. Oh, absolutely. I think we have made some progress in shifting out of those silos a bit in terms of literacy. Mm-hmm. I know that when I came here to Dover Yoda School, this is my sixth year here, 
I was really impressed that they had a uh, team of science teachers and they were in their PLC discussing language. Actually, they were talking about the uh, language of science mm -hmm. and what they had discovered when they were looking at assessments, state assessments, when they looked at the area that kids had struggled most, it came down to the technical scientific language. So that they were looking at the same word that is used in a different area yeah. could be reapplied now. And they were helping kids redefine and re put that in a science context versus a math context or any other, you know, it was really, really neat that they were working those problems out. The teachers were working those problems out. Now, here's my other lesson I learned in my previous middle school that I was a principal of. We made a big push for that same concept, but the minute we stopped looking, teachers kind of fall back into what their normal operation is. My big lesson as a principal was, if I say literacy across the content area is really critical, I have to keep looking for it and looking at the evidence and, and reflecting on it with the teachers or it kind of goes away. And just to address that language a little bit, Mike, I don't think it's if you stop looking. I think it's if you stop being an active participant. Yeah. And I do want to say a lot of the growth we've made in the last few years at Doriota in terms of literacy in every classroom is thanks to Dr. Gillis and Dr. Jones Moore. And if you're looking to Google yeah. something, uh, you can Google their names or uh, the phrase uh, disciplinary literacy or discipline-specific literacy. Uh, highly recommended. Well, it, it's so much harder, isn't it? I mean, to to think that way because you, yeah. really, you really have to know your content mm -hmm. in order to integrate literacy the way it needs to be. Like Connie Jewell, which I love her article, uh, Literacy Through a Disciplinary Lens or Reading Through a Disciplinary Lens. Yes, yes. That's the one she did with first graders, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think the whole premise is this, you know, you've got to think like a historian when you're creating your lessons. Another Shanahan's talked about the subculture of a, of a content. Dr. Jones-Moore, you just were talking about how you really have to know your content yeah. in order to do that. And that brings me back to what Dr. Gillis had said at the very start of our, our conversation, which is about how we, we want to shift more of that thinking onto students. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? to help our staff build the confidence that they can let their students take over more of the learning and the cognitive load. You know, Heather, there's, there's a little saying in one of Richard Bach's book, Illusions, and it says, we teach best that which we need to learn. And it sounds kind of strange, but I will tell you that there was a year, 1972, when I was hired to teach chemistry and physics. And I taught physics sort of against my will. I had had maybe four physics classes. The one I had in graduate school, I cut reasoning that I didn't really like physics, would never teach physics. And so when I took this job, I was, in the position of having to teach a content that I did not truly understand. So I had to work doubly hard to figure that out. And then five or six years later, I found myself teaching physics to a group of six kids who any one of them was 10 times smarter than I was. Every one of them got a full ride going off to college. And I knew there was no way to bluff my way through it. <laughs> I just said to them, look, guys, 
I know the theory. Math is not my strong suit. I'll make you a deal. If you will teach me the math, I will teach you the theory. And we would sit down around a big round table every day and work through what we were all trying to learn together. And, and that really showed me a couple of things. One is you've got to be honest with kids to a point, but you've also got to be a learner with them. And that to me is if a teacher approaches the job as I've got 25 students and me, which means there are 26 teachers in this room, but there are also 26 learners in this room. And there are times when kids will give you answers that on the surface seem absolutely wrong. But if you ask them to provide their evidence or explain what they mean, that 80% of the time you find out they really do know what they're talking about. They're just looking at it from a different angle. And you will learn a little something about your content area. So to me, I think the key is to help student teachers understand that if they don't feel confident in their content knowledge, they have to look at this as an opportunity to learn with and from their students. There's a few things you said there. I liked it all, but there's a few things in particular I want to call attention to. One is you're really demonstrating moving the thinking to the students. And in this case, it sounds like you had to. Yeah. I didn't have much choice. Yeah. yeah. But the, that's the other thing I love is that you're being vulnerable with your students. You're showing that is what made you successful. Mm-hmm. If you had pretended that you knew it all, oh, that would have been a fiasco. Yeah. Disaster. Well, and I think that really ties into something that both of you, um, Dr. Jones-Moore and Dr. Gillis, have talked about, which is the importance of metacognition, mm-hmm. getting kids to think about their thinking and, and helping them to draw the connections between their struggle and their learning. Do you guys have any specific like metacognition strategies you like to use? I have to start with students, you know, secondary students, especially come in my class and they, they think I don't need this class because I have all my content knowledge I can teach. And so when you talk about literacy and, and doing away with the siloing, especially of literacy, you have to teach them and make a point that they really have to think about the metacognition it takes to lead your students through the metacognition they need. And what I'm going to do as an example Um, first day of class, I start with, uh, the story of the three little pigs and I ask my students, you know, if you had to summarize, we talk about this, the summarization, uh, inferencing, making connections and vocabulary as being part of the the comprehension skills that are needed across the board in the content areas. And so I say, you know, as a child, how would you, how would you summarize that story? And of course they would retell the story with the events, which is normal because that's how we all were taught to read. And to summarize was through a retelling. But then you put them in their groups and their content groups and you ask them to think about what it means to be literate in their content areas and how you view from that lens. And then you go back and you say, okay, my science people, how would you summarize the story of the three little pigs? Mm And their answers are, are like, well, we would make a table 
And we would list the three houses and we would do a hypothesis on how we think they would withstand the wind. And my social studies people were like, well, if we're looking at the three little pigs, you know, you could associate the type of house they have with their, with their SES level, you know, and the poor people have less money to, to build stronger houses. And so therefore they're going to be the ones that are demolished. And then my math people, well, you know, we could make hypothesis or we could even figure out how much it would cost to build a house made of sticks and brick. And so they're, they're starting to see that my changing has to think and that summarization is different in the content areas. And I'm going to have to think about what summarization means in math, science, social studies, and English. And I'm going to have to think what does inferencing mean and how, and then once you think about that, how am I going to lead my students through that thought process? Mm -hmm. Heather, you know, something you said too made me think it's not just how we prepare our students to struggle mm -hmm. and learn. We've got to think about how we give teachers permission to try things, struggle. I, the first content reading project I ever did at a little junior high came about because the teachers noticed that our students that we were all teaching were doing my work in their class. And, and I started to, I started to apologize. And I remember Ruby Wise says, no, no, I'm happy that he's occupied. I just want to know how you got him to do the work. And so it was the teachers then who started trying just one or two little strategies that took absolutely no prep, very little time in terms of grading or anything like that, but had a big payout in student engagement. And if you can find a few strategies to say to them, I dare you, try this, but always keep your focus on what you want them to learn in science or mathematics or social studies. Mm -hmm. That's where your focus has to be. We have about just a couple minutes left. So we're gonna do these three rapid fire questions called in the blink of three eyes. Uh, so question number one, yep. in the blink of three, blink eyes, of three eyes, what podcast, book, show, or whatnot <laughs> has been influencing your thinking lately? I still go with the Shanahan's uh, view of disciplinary literacy. And actually I'm moving more into technology uh, and using integrating uh, technology into literacy. So I've been reading a lot of Carlos articles. Nice. I would say that um, Amy Wilson Lopez has put out a brand new book and that book is reading and representing across the content areas. And, and I got to review it and that is an excellent book, but I've also returned two articles that are available to me because I'm emeritus and I have access to the library uh, in the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy. So um, I've done a lot of that. Okay, I get to ask the next question then. We really value innovation. What is one innovation that you've seen recently or that you would really like to see happen? Ooh, I just had to help create a technology ed class for our master's program. And so I looked at some things that Harvard was doing 
they are using virtual reality in the education classroom. And I am really anxious to try to do some kind of virtual reality with literacy integration in the content areas. So I don't know how that's going to play out, but that's in the back of my mind right now. Innovation. (laughs) As an innovation, I think I would want to return to something that I experienced as a teacher, and that was Wonderful Wednesdays. I don't know whether they're still doing it in the Orlando school system or not, but on Wednesdays, the kids left right after lunch. And it was Wednesday afternoon when we had a time, one Wednesday was faculty meeting. You didn't have faculty meeting more than once a month. One Wednesday was department meeting. We focused on content. One Wednesday was team meeting. We focused on the kids that we all taught in together. And one Wednesday was focused on working with parents. So I would love to see in some way increased planning time for teachers. That'd be my innovation. Uh, Listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. Okay. What might that first action be? Um, I think that um, teachers in content areas need to get together and really have a discussion about what it takes uh, or or the the metacognition it takes to to teach science and math and, and what that looks like in terms of literacy and actually how to integrate literacy skills within their lessons, because so many teachers feel that integrating literacy goes outside of the standards and it takes an extra effort. I would say use a writing to learn strategy that would take very little time. Either at the end of class, they could use one of two prompts, either I'm, um, now I understand, or I'm still confused about have them choose one of those and complete it and hand it in. And I'm tutoring two little fifth graders right now. So I can tell you that works online and offline as well. We did it. All right. Good job. Thank you so much, you guys. This has been wonderful. You guys are such a pleasure to talk to. Holy (laughs) smokes. You guys bring joy to my life. Oh, so much. Thanks for listening to our episode today. If you wouldn't mind, take a minute and do those social media things that make it easier for other people to find us and hear what we have to say about the world of education. Thank you today to Doriota Public Schools, to Superintendent Mike Carolyn, and Michael Terrell, our theme music provider. Join us for future episodes when we'll be speaking with rapper and writer Dessa on cross-curricular exploration, when we'll be speaking with Audrey Betcher on community integration in schools, and when we'll be speaking with Jean Procott, who will be working on how to elevate student voices in the community and the world at large.